As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to The Andy Staple Show, and it's been a while since we have answered your question, so Let's do a Dear Andy episode. I brought in my friend Ari Wasserman. He's here to, to probably piss you off. But <laughs> hey, listen, Ari, we all have our talents. We haven't said the word Michigan on this podcast in like six months. I'm starting to worry about us a little bit, you know? I don't I don't know that we're going to say it on this one either. I don't although, think we are. <laughs> hey, listen, I wrote a column in praise of Michigan for actually negotiating a, a, a fair market contract that reflected the coach's value in the marketplace so hey we're, we're on the michigan folks good side i don't know how happy they are with with jim harbaugh back but at least they're not paying too much for him so that's yeah that's the the joy there yeah i mean that's uh something that you don't see very often in the coaching ranks and good for them especially during a year where buyouts aren't supposed to be as easy as they've been uh, at other places too with with covid and everything so it'll be interesting to see with an incentive-based contract and you know the ability to hire some new guys they hired mike hart as a running back coach um, this week or last week. Um, that's uh, an interesting situation there. I'm, I'm looking forward to tracking it. It will be interesting, but here's here's another one, and we'll, we'll start with our first question. It comes from Stephen Los Angeles. This is, this is a good one. Looking at the last decade plus, it's occurred to me that two conditions are necessary to win a national title. One, a roster with at least 50% four or five-star players, and two, either A, elite, not just very good, QB, or to B, the Alabama who recruit and develop talent at such a ridiculous level that they can skip the whole elite QB thing, though they sometimes have that too. Given that, am I crazy for thinking that Notre Dame could actually win a title if and only if they land that elite QB they haven't had during Brian Kelly's tenure? They've had some very good quarterbacks this past decade, but never a generational talent like Lawrence, Newton, Burrow, etc. And I think that's a really interesting question because you and I have talked a lot about Notre Dame and the ceiling and, and what they can do differently. And I, I got to say, I think Steve listens to you quite a bit, Ari, because this certainly sounds like you. I, I thought you planted this question. I wish I did. Um, but it's good to to read questions that reflect reality. And I think a lot of times through no fault of their own, but fans don't view reality the same way they view it through the prism of their team. And it's hard to you know, sit back and really evaluate this. But I've got two words for you. Tyler Buckner. I mean, they just signed a top 65 player at the quarterback position out of La Jolla, California, which is the most Notre Dame thing on earth. And I think that it's possible 
that they might have found their guy. And this is how you have to do it. Now, um, after the national championship game last Monday, it just gives you another appreciation of just how good Alabama is and, and can be. And part of the reason they were what they were is because they had a handful of bona fide NFL players decide to inexplicably come back all at the same time to create that monster of a team. But it's just the way that these teams are built. And I give Notre Dame and Brian Kelly a lot of credit. I mean, they were the eighth most talented team in, in college football this year, and they played Alabama tougher than anybody. I mean, outside of maybe Florida and Ole Miss. And, you know, when you look at it, though, and you compare, we give how many how many – uh, points credit do we give for uh, elite level quarterback hitting it's three or four players but if you compare uh, Alabama's roster directly to Notre Dame's Alabama's got 12 five-star prospects last year and 58 four stars Notre Dame has two five stars and 44 uh, four stars and that's literally 20 or 25 players better and when you're talking about an 85 person player scholarship total that is a significant difference and you know Notre Dame I think you could make the argument got more out of their team than anybody got out of their team this year um outside of course Alabama who won the national title um but you know that's true and I think that the way that we view generational quarterbacks the word generational now is being thrown around a little bit because generational yeah. means like once every 10 years and like who do you think was the last true generational talent like trevor lawrence cam or cam, cam newton cam because, newton because he played with essentially a ham sandwich on offense and won the national title like the the rest of that auburn offense the other 10 starters do you know how many nfl starts they combined i for? could probably guess what is it zero one <laughs> <laughs> one guy started one game um, yeah it, it's it's crazy so i mean that that's the thing that's how good cam was we're not going to see that very often. But listen, do you think Trevor Lawrence is a generational quarterback? I think I probably he probably is. Do you think yeah, Justin I, I Fields so. is? Mm, I don't know. I mean, the fact that it's even a discussion, I just think there's with these quarterback camps and these elite eleven players, quarterbacks in general across yeah. the board are better and more ready than they used to be. And yeah. I think that it's important. I don't think you can win a national championship without an elite quarterback. But I don't think you have to have Cam Newton. You just have to have a really, really good one. And I think Ian Book played really well this year. I don't know if I would put him in the same galaxy well, as a guy I, like Trevor I, Lawrence. I, but I think Ian Book is, is proof that they can develop a quarterback. I mean, Ian Book so outshone his recruiting ranking. And look, his skill set is good, but it's probably not, if you ask an NFL talent evaluator, they're, they're going to tell you it's not the same thing as – you know, some of these other quarterbacks or even like a Mac Jones, who was a three star quarterback who may have just been under evaluated as a recruit, but they can develop them at Notre Dame. They, and and I do think in a one game, like we, we mentioned the, the gap between Notre Dame and Alabama or the gap between Notre Dame and Clemson in a one game scenario. If you have that quarterback, you got a shot. Yeah, absolutely. And like Notre Dame too, just signed the third ranked dual threat quarterback in America and the fourth best player in California and the uh, a legit potential yeah. five-star quarterback. So, you know, you you do this, and like some other schools are signing three or four players like that in a two-year, three-year cycle, and they have more of an opportunity to hit. Like Clemson is losing Trevor Lawrence, and we all know what's coming down the pike there. You know, and Ohio State, another team that was in the playoff, has uh, – the number one overall player in the country in 2022 committed uh, as we speak. And 
um, has three other top 100 caliber quarterbacks going to be on the roster next year to replace him. So the more you have, the more likely you are to find that guy. But I think Notre Dame's biggest issue might just be the lack of skill that they have across the board, not against 85 or 90% of the rest of the sport, but when compared directly to the monsters of the sport. And I think that there's a, a chance for them to, um, you know, still improve by recruiting at a higher level. And I understand that Notre Dame views uh, their situation is kind of an uphill battle. The The idea of being a private Catholic school with crazy high academic standards is certainly an issue. But when you're talking about classes that have 20 or 25 players in it a year, they have an in at every private Catholic high school in America. It's their little embassies. I wrote a story about this years ago, and that's an advantage. So I don't think that Notre Dame has hit its ceiling from a recruiting standpoint. And when you look at the 2021 class, there's no team in America that has been hurt probably more from the pandemic than Notre Dame, because what does Notre Dame rely on? They are the most national, national team that there is. And Indiana, the state, doesn't have a lot of talent. And they still finish with the number nine overall class. The problem is number nine in the rankings is a great ranking, but it's not good enough to win a national title. So when you add the fact that they you know, were the 10th most talented team or whatever in, in this year's season, and they still made it to the playoff and still, for the most part, didn't get embarrassed by Alabama. They seem to be on the cusp of something, but I do think that there is like an overdrive mode that they can go into uh, in the next two or three years to build off of that playoff appearance to maybe get into the number five or six range, which isn't, I don't think, an unreasonable ask. Plus, if you combine that with an elite quarterback, he doesn't have to be a generational Cam Newton quarterback, but an elite one, they can potentially win the college football playoff. And Alabama was maybe the best team in the history of the sport this year, or maybe LSU last year, but those aren't that's Alabama at its peak. Alabama isn't at its peak every year. So if you right. hit the right like window. The 2017 Alabama, let's say Notre Dame, a team like this year's Notre Dame team, had played the 2017 Alabama team that started Jalen Hurts before they they switched to Tua Vailoa. That's a pretty good game. Yeah, I think like, it is. Yeah, that's a pretty competitive game. So I, I do think they're they're close than people think. And I also think on the quarterback front, the way the transfers are going to work from now, Notre Dame is a little bit different. It's hard to transfer into Notre Dame. Yeah, uh, they take grad transfers more, but. But let's look at Joe Burrow's situation. Joe Burrow was not Joe Burrow until really his second year starting at LSU. He was a good quarterback. He be, he pushed Dwayne Haskins in that quarterback competition. And I know people think that the Ohio State coaching staff was not telling the truth when they said it was a tough choice. No, it was a tough choice. And Burrow didn't really develop until that guy. So again, quarterback recruiting is a crapshoot. You may find a grad transfer. You may find a guy who got squeezed out in a, in a weird situation who becomes that guy. Notre Dame, too, is a great opportunity. I feel like being a quarterback at Notre Dame is great. It's not a tough sell. Now, they haven't produced NFL talent at that level the way that some of these other programs have. And like if Georgia uh, gets on their their horse and, and Vandegrift, the five-star prospect, yeah. Um, hits there, then, you know, Georgia's a nice place, but Ohio State, Alabama, Clemson, now LSU to the same extent, Oklahoma more so than anybody. Um, these yeah, are I the mean, places. If, if Lincoln Riley says, come play for me, yeah. you, you go play for him. Yeah, exactly. At the quarterback position, especially, and they've turned. But, you know, the thing that I, I admire about Oklahoma is 
they turned success with transfers into success in recruiting the position because the yeah. uh, the genesis of Oklahoma's um, ability to get the Baker Mayfields and the Kyler Murrays and the Jalen Hurts, they're all transfers. But since they all had success there, the Spencer Rattlers and the Caleb Williams out of, are coming out of high school now. So like what they've done is, is use the transfer portal to your point to build a desirable place. But the key element to all that is, is development. And I think that Notre yeah. Dame can say that they developed Ian Book to be the best Ian Book could be, and I think that's an attractive sales position. So if, if Buckner hits, absolutely, and Buckner is what we think he is, and some you know recruiting analysts on the West Coast think he's the best player on the West Coast, um, and when you're in the top 65, everybody has a has a you know a claim to that. But I think Notre Dame could potentially be on the cusp of of really taking that next step that their fans have been waiting for well, them to take. Let me throw let me throw one more thing at you. You've got the the NIL stuff, the name, image, and likeness stuff, where guys are going to be able to make their own deals starting this school year. And I know that the NCAA delayed the vote on that, but it's going to happen because the, the Florida law takes effect on July 1st, so they're going to have to make some rules. And wouldn't quarterback at Notre Dame be a very attractive proposition with, with the ability to make Side deals? Yeah, no, I know. I, I, being the face of a program, like what programs would you want to be the face of? I mean, probably the five that are recruiting at the highest level. But Notre Dame is the the first team that would come to mind, just from a brand standpoint, for sure. I, I think, you know, some people might view certain places as hopeless, and I don't think Notre Dame is hopeless at all. I think that they are. They have the resources, and and Brian Kelly did a heck of a job this year, and in the right year with the right recruiting classes. Um, they might actually have a chance, but what I'd really like to see out of Notre Dame before I, I start to take them as seriously as I would in Alabama or a Clemson is to see a top five class that's just legit. And like we haven't seen that in the last few years. And once they start getting in, going from like 10 to nine to like five and six or maybe four, five and six, then you might put yourself in a position to do something like that. Like Oregon jumped up to six, USC, you know, bounced back eight, A&M is seven. I mean, it's the same usual suspects in the top four in the 2021, Bama, Ohio State, Georgia, and Clemson, and LSU's five. But, you know, there's some new faces that are, you know, recruiting a little bit better. North Carolina is recruiting better. Miami has recruited better. Uh, Michigan is in the top 15. You know, there, there is a window there to really hit it. But the problem with the sport in general is what does a team have to do or a program or a coach have to do? to eclipse what Alabama, Ohio State, Georgia, and Clemson are doing. And that, I think, is the hardest jump to make. It's harder to go from, from five or six to one or two than it is to go from 30 to 15. We'll be right back after these words. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Let's go with a slightly tougher question. This is from from Charlie. What has to happen for the Pac-12 to be relevant again? There's a lot, a lot to unpack here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, how about you just let me handle the recruiting stuff first, and then I'll let Go you take it. Go for it. Knock it out. In the That's, 20, it's the most important stuff. In the 2020 class, and then I'll let this um, this stat will be updated once we know where JT Tuimalao ends up in 2021. But in the 2020 class, which was the class that signed last December, 
Nine of the consensus top 30 players in the country were in the geographical footprint of the Pac-12, including Nevada. And only three of those players went to Pac-12 schools. So roughly 30% of the most truly elite West Coast talent in the 2020 class have left to go play elsewhere. That I mean, 70%. is... Yeah, 70% left, 30% stayed. Um, that is inexcusable, and two of the three went to Oregon and USC for obvious reasons. Now, step one to being nationally relevant and competitive in the country is to recruit better, you know? And right now, even if you take USC and, and Oregon out of the mix, which teams on the Pac-12 are recruiting at a high enough clip for you to ever consider that they be there? Utah's a nice story. Washington's a nice story. They have teams that are solid year in and year out. But taking Washington, for, in, for instance here, Andy, the state of Washington, and specifically the Seattle area where UW is located, had three top 10 players in the state or in the country in that one city. That was a huge opportunity for Jimmy Lake. And one of them is committed to Ohio State or signed with Ohio State. That's Emeka Ekbuka, the five-star receiver. And JT Tuimalau is a five is the number two player behind only Corey Foreman. And it seems like he's going to leave the Pac-12 footprint. And if that happens, then you have another instance of Washington having a window of an opportunity to potentially build the foundation of a, a, a national championship caliber team. And now they're going to play at the Blue Bloods that everybody knows. And until that happens... You don't have a shot. Now, I will say in 2021, Oregon recruited its ass off. They have 21 commitments. They're the number six class in the country behind the Blue Bloods. And they have um, three players in the top 40, three, four in the top uh, 53, and like nine or 10 in the top 150. So that is an elite level class. And Mario Cristobal is set up for Oregon to being really good. And USC... Um, is number eight, and they uh, signed the number one player in the class just now, and they have two elite-level quarterbacks signed, um, one of which is Jackson Dart, who who is a late riser. So you have some hope for the flagship programs of the conference, but the problem is, is that after the top two, and maybe Washington at three, who, like I said, had a missed opportunity, they just don't have the depth or the teams to compete at a national level until they recruit better in their own footprint. And the fact that LA and California is in that footprint, it needs to be capitalized on, and it just simply hasn't been in the past. Well, and and as you've written and I've written, the Arizona schools need to do a better job with their own backyard. I mean, the Phoenix area produces tons of good quarterbacks, but the best Phoenix area quarterback plays at USC. Now he's in the Pac-12, but he should be at Arizona State or Arizona. Yeah, and and you guys blew it by not recruiting Keaton Slovis. So and you went and you went to Phoenix and wrote a story about it. There were a ton yeah. of them that left the Pac-12. Yeah, Brock, Brock Purdy should be playing in the Pac-12. Yeah, I mean, there's no excuse for that. Yeah, you, you guys blew that. So you know the the other piece of it is sort of administrative, and and we can bag on Larry Scott a lot. I'm sure. But that's not the, the the missteps with the Pac-12 network, all that stuff. That doesn't keep them from being relevant on the national football scene. That's not it. They need to win more. They need to make the playoff. Now, here's where Larry Scott screwed up. He had a, a, a platform and was in a position to help his league make the playoff. 
The second they got left out for a second consecutive year, Larry Scott should have been in every other commissioner's ear saying, we got to expand this thing. We got to go to eight. We got to go to eight. Got to get the, the champs of the Power Five leagues. And, and guess who he probably would have gotten a sympathetic ear from? The Big 12, which has had teams left out, and the Big 10, which had its champ left out in 2016. Now, Ohio State got in, but Penn State was left out. Ohio State was left out in 2017 as the Big Ten champ. Ohio State was left out in 2018 as the Big Ten champ. So you would have found sympathy within the Power Five. The Group of Five absolutely would have been on board with that because it would have probably created a system where the, the highest-ranked Group of Five champ makes it. And Larry Scott didn't even think to ask until this year, and he didn't ask until he was asked about it. Like, what are you doing yeah, you know, and the thing too is that I think a lot of the college football problems seem to be solved by expanding, right? I mean, teams that are competing in the playoff um, well, at so a higher you have level. To think about it like a, it's it is a business, it is a nationwide enterprise, college football, and it's you know you've got competitors that that live in different states, but it's a nationwide enterprise, and it's healthier and makes more money if everybody's engaged. So. You may be looking at the playoff as a play, you know, trying to find the best team. That's not what it really is. It is an opportunity to create games that the nation wants to see. And if you leave a bunch of the nation out, that's not good for your business. If the winner of the Pac-12 championship game is playing for a spot in the playoff, everybody's watching it because it sets up the yes. next games. It's that simple. And I, I also wonder, too, that if you were to expand the playoff... Um, then teams, even group of five teams, for instance, I, I wrote a story about SMU this year trying to recruit the Dallas area very well, and they got a top 105 or 110 quarterback from Dallas to commit to SMU. And it's like if SMU were able to sell the fact that the group of five has a has a playoff spot or an at-large spot, then maybe the Savion Birds of the world who, were com who ended up um, – at a powerhouse instead of the group of five local team might have thought about, hey, I can actually win a national championship well, or compete for let me, one. Let me, let me throw this at you because if let's say UCF is competing against Purdue and Michigan State and uh, you know uh, NC State for a quarterback, who has a better chance of making the playoff if the top ranked group of five team makes the playoff? Right. UCF does better than those schools. So that might help tilt the balance a little bit too. And isn't that, uh, that's what everybody's complaining about. Everybody's complaining the best players go to the same schools. Well, these are the things that, that help tilt the balance. Now, I do agree with Joshua Perry, the former Ohio State linebacker, when he says, look, I don't, winning championships is great. It's not the determining factor. The determining factor is do you create NFL players? That's true. And, that's sort of on those individual schools to do that themselves. And, and you know, they can, they can show, if they can prove that, they should be able to get recruits just as well as anybody else. But, but those teams also have well, better players. So well, exactly. It's, like, and, <laughs> it's all part not, of it. But why not try, if you're Larry Scott, to make that happen? Because that's an, that's an easy way to get some relevance, to gain some relevance. Because you're in the mix every year. Now, look, this year it would have been eight-seeded Oregon going to Tuscaloosa to play Alabama, and they would have gotten destroyed. But would have watched it. I'm not sure that's the same. 
You, you absolutely would have watched, and it would have watched the hell out of the Pac-12 championship game. Yeah, and like USC I, or Oregon's going to make the playoff. I was watching uh, Christmas movies during that game. Uh, that wasn't my my doing. And you're Jewish, <laughs> exactly. Uh, but hey, man, we can still enjoy the seasons. Come on, uh, that's exactly right. It, listen, holiday quality Netflix Christmas flick that just came out. So. Oh, I need to watch that. I haven't seen that. Oh, it's, my, it's we, tremendous. It was uh, not for the kids, by the way, not for the kids. But if that were a, a playoff determining spot, to your point, though, I wouldn't have been watching Christmas movies. Exactly. Exactly. And SC so, was undefeated at that time. Well, and you you thought they belonged <laughs> in the playoff. I thought they belonged in the discussion. <laughs> To potentially make it. <laughs> well, I, I just I think that is something that the Pac-12 really needs to get on yeah. as a priority, as a conference priority, because that can help a lot without actually having to do anything difficult in recruiting. I mean, because saying recruit better is really hard. Like it, it's easy to say it's hard to do. Oregon is doing it. USC sometimes does it, but it's very difficult. Can I ask you a question? Just like, can I like, it's kind of related to yeah. this, but Absolutely. it's also like a Dear Andy show. So Dear Andy, I've got a question. Okay. What do you think is the, so it's really awesome to be a Clemson, Georgia, Ohio State, Alabama, Oklahoma, and LSU fan. But for the vast majority of the sports audience, their team, whether they want to admit mm -hmm. it or not, don't have a chance to win. And the question that I receive in the recruiting mailbags all the time is what can be done in the sport from a competitive standpoint or a competitive balance standpoint to even out the recruiting numbers a little bit, whereas nothing 50%. Well, wait, wait, 50% of the top 100 players in the country this year signed at four or five programs. Do you think a scholarship reduction is a rational thought? To take it from 85 to 75 or 78 to reduce it by seven or eight players per class to spread good players out more. I don't know that I like that because it takes opportunities away from the high school athletes that deserve yeah, that's, them. That's that's but, the problem. The optics of it are bad. You, you're taking scholarships away from players. And there's a health and safety aspect of it, too. How, how thin do you want rosters to be? Yeah, I think you could make the argument, though, that the top six uh, programs in the country have an abundance of depth. Whereas they do. Whereas like we're talking about division one starters sitting on the bench for two or three years, that might be the missing link at a Cincinnati or might be the missing link at a, at a place that is on the cusp. Maybe Iowa state has uh, a defensive well, back who's uh, sitting on Alabama's bench right again, now. You know, again, here's maybe where the NIL stuff might help a little bit because if you can be the big dog at a power five school or sit for two years at Alabama, maybe you go be the big dog. I don't think everybody's going to do that because from a financial standpoint, it's nice to make a few thousand dollars. Yeah. It makes no but sense. If you, if you do what you're supposed to do at Alabama, the real payday is coming figures as a signing bonus. So yeah. it, it's not going to compare. And there but is a lot of short sightedness though, Andy, um, a lot of parents and a lot of athletes will look at three grand well, and, it, and it think, might, it might shear a few of them off. And that, yeah. that might tilt the back. Because, and you mentioned SMU. I'll, I'll mention SMU even further. Back when their boosters were paying people under the table, they were really good at football. Yeah. So you you make that opportunity legal. Well, legal is the wrong word. None of it was ever actually illegal, but you make it within the NCAA rules, rules. you can do it. A, a program like that might flourish you walk, in that environment. You drive around um, Dallas and. You see billboards on the highways for 
each area of town. So if you're in Oak Cliff or Plano or Dallas proper or DeSoto, a player that's on SMU's roster is prominently displayed on the billboard. And those are paid by SMU as a recruiting tactic. But you don't think that Preston Stone, the local fringe five-star quarterback who's going to SMU is going to be somebody who could profit from name, image, and likeness at SMU. And the other thing... He's at least getting a trade with a Ford dealership for an F-150. And the other thing, too, is you can go to smaller schools in the new system, and if things don't work out or you're too good after two years, you can transfer very easily to a program that'll take you immediately. And like if Preston Stone goes to, and I'm just using him as an example, but if he goes to SMU like he is, he signed, and he's an awesome quarterback for a few years, you know, is the the fun SMU offense that everybody loves to watch. And then at the end of his career, he's like, you know what? It stinks being in the group of five. I want to go play in the playoff. You don't think Oklahoma would take him or LSU would take him? Um, And I think there's like a, a major argument and going even back to question one of how these quarterbacks can take bigger, better, different risks coming out of high school than they used to. And when you add NIL into it, you know, it's possible that some of these smaller schools that don't have a chance to compete at the highest level might actually have a sales pitch. Now, I don't know that I think that the hierarchy of the sport's going to change as a result of it. I think the most seasoned recruits and their parents understand that taking a Ford F-150 to go to a school that isn't as equipped to develop you into an NFL player is a short-sighted and frankly dumb decision because a car that's worth 40 grand in the grand scheme of things will probably be worth 12,000 by the time they're out of college. And then they might not get the NFL contract that they were going to get, but it's, you know, it drops by 12,000, right? When you drive it off, unless it's a Raptor, (laughs) (laughs) it still does. It still drops by more than that when you drive it off the lot. Yeah. But but anywho, you're right. There are a lot of dynamics to this that I don't think people have thought through and in both directions. But I do think that might help shear a couple. I don't think it's going to keep the bulk of people from signing with the Alabamas and the Ohio States and the Clemsons, but I do think it's going to shear a couple of them off. We'll be right back after this message from one of our lovely sponsors. Let's go to our last question. You've got a good list for this one. This is from Zachary. What non-conference game should fans be most excited for next season? Assuming everything is back to normal, and I realize it's a big assumption, but let's indulge and assume that some people can show up and watch these things, and they're, they're going to get played when they're supposed to get played. Pick your own criteria. On-field play, rivalries, off-field drama, et cetera. What, what are the ones you, you're most excited about, Ari? Uh, the one I'm most excited about is Georgia-Clemson because I think that's the oh, game yeah. that has the most uh, impact on the playoff but also is the two best teams playing each other. Um, and maybe you could say Ohio State, Oregon, depending on what Oregon is next year, um, might have an impact as well. I mean, all these games, but let's just list them first. Alabama, Miami, Georgia, Clemson, Ohio State, Oregon, Washington, Michigan, Notre Dame, Cincinnati. Um, and I think Notre Dame's playing Indiana too. So either Notre Dame's playing Indiana or Cincinnati's playing Indiana. Um, but I just like the thing that um, I want to see – is that Georgia Clemson game? Is Georgia going to take that step forward and go from the team that everybody says goes ten and two and actually look like the most talented team in college football? And are they going to get a chance right out of the gate with a five star quarterback to potentially be what everybody thought they were going to be? Or is Clemson just going to resume what they are? Like I, that, to me, that is the game of the year. Yeah, I, I can't wait because it felt like Georgia got the quarterback situation right finally at the end of the year with JT Daniels and. Uh, what happens if he has a full offseason 
with that offense. And they get a lot of guys back. You know, Georgia didn't have a ton of guys say, I'm leaving for the NFL. They had a few guys take advantage of the opportunity to come back. Uh, they've recruited really well. I just think this is a this is a chance for Georgia to establish themselves as the, the national title contender they're supposed to be. And you have to do it by beating Clemson. And you got to earn it. Georgia is such an interesting case study to me because I just like tweeted the other day, Georgia is going to be legit. And everybody's like, no, they're not. They just suck. It doesn't matter. They always suck. They never reach their potential. And it's just like, this team has enough coming into next year to win the national championship if things go the right way. Yeah, absolutely. And, and they've had enough the last few years with the exception of the quarterback position. So they can they can jump right into that. Because we don't know what Alabama's going to look like. We, you know, we've seen DJ Uyunglele play at Clemson, so we got a pretty good idea that they're still going to be really good. Uh, Ohio State's in, in flux with the quarterback. Uh, you know, you look in Georgia's division. Kyle Trask and Kyle Pitts are gone from Florida, so that game becomes easier for them than it than it probably would have been. I mean, I think I think I actually think Emory Jones is going to do all right at Florida at quarterback, but I feel like Georgia still has the talent advantage in that series. So. You know, it's going to be a fascinating season with them coming in with a guy they feel like is the answer at quarterback. Let me put it. Let me just correct one thing I said that was wrong. Uh, Indiana plays Cincinnati, not Notre Dame. I got them mixed oh, okay. up. That's going to be a good game, but all of Notre Dame's uh, games are non-conference. So Indiana plays Cincinnati. I think that could be interesting. But um, let me go back to the Georgia Clemson game for a second. Clemson is also that's a big game for them too. Because if you go get blown out by Ohio State in the playoff and then turn around and lose your opener the next year, then you know that puts you behind the eight ball right out of the gate of making the playoff. Now, I, I do think that if they ended up losing to Georgia and Georgia achieves what we think they can, then they still could be a one-loss ACC champion that makes the playoff. But from a, from a, cro a program hierarchy standpoint, Clemson – is on the brink of what happened to Ohio State after the 15 season, where you lose a game in the playoff or you don't make the playoff, and then you know a blowout in 2016 and then 17, 18, you don't make it, then you fall way back into that hierarchy. And like I don't think that Clemson's in that position because they've got DJ uh, and their recruiting is pretty great. But at the same time, too, it's just like losing two games in a row or a place like that even over the course of two seasons is kind of a tough thing to be in. So that's a huge game for them as well. I also like the the Alabama Miami one. Just you know, we'll see if Derek King. I'm assuming he can get healthy by the season opener. You know, he tore his ACL in the in the bowl game. But Miami again, kind of flopping at the end of the season. The the North Carolina game was was a disaster. So can they finally turn that ship around? And we'll see them against an elite program right off the bat. Uh, I don't know what Alabama is going to be, but it's always exciting to see how Alabama reloads. And, and I think defensively, Alabama is going to be nasty, especially up front. You know, they're losing Christian Barmore, but uh, Tim Smith is there. Uh, Will Anderson off the edge. I mean, he they could have a truly elite pass rush as Will Anderson develops and, and, and gets better. So this is, this is going to be fun to watch. I'm so excited to think about what might be a – I don't even know if it's going to be normal, Ari. I have no idea what what life in America is going to be like in nine months. But got vaccines being rolled out. It, it seems like, and, and also I think just having gone through this year, the schools understand a little bit better how to put things in place to to have spring practice, to, to be in a position to play the season when it's ready to be played. So I, I hope that happens. I, I hope it's normal by September. I don't 
know if it will be or not, but I do feel pretty confident at this point that the season will start on time and we won't have the same kind of hand-wringing that there was last summer. So that, that'll be nice. But or we have to get to the truly controversial part of this, this podcast. We haven't done a random ranking in a while. It's time. Zachary, who asked the, the question about the non-conference games, has a great topic. Fast food breakfast dishes. Your top five fast food breakfast dishes. Uh, you have put in your 10,000 hours on this topic, as have I. Ari, what is your number five? We have to start with um, some preamble here, always with yeah, me, because it. I'm okay. a psychopath. Absolutely. Just so everybody knows, my breakfast sandwich, my perfect breakfast sandwich has no meat on it. And I know that that's sacrilegious to some people, but I think there's nothing. Is it a sandwich if it doesn't have meat or is it just bread? I like egg and cheese only on my breakfast sandwiches. Egg is meat. Okay, if that counts as meat, I'm just saying I'm, I don't have sausage <laughs> and is, bacon on egg my... Egg is meat. Yes, egg is animal protein. It is meat. Okay, all right, but it's not the meat that I'm talking about, which is bacon and sausage. I like the way those two things taste, but I don't want it to overpower my bread that I go... No, that, that's understandable. That's understandable. No, but some people be like, I, what the hell I, are you talking about? You can't have a breakfast sandwich without bacon on it. And like, trust me, Bill Landis, I know. Um, and some people think that the sausage and the bacon is the amazing part of the thing. I like leave it off completely. Um, so we did dishes only and not fast food, um, menus for breakfast, which I think once we're done with the rankings, you'll know what my favorite breakfast is. And it's very controversial and people lose their mind when I tell them, but there is one clear favorite, uh, for fast food breakfast, which we'll get to. But my number five is the Jack in the box, Supreme croissant sandwich. I think, you know, the croissant is my favorite breakfast bread and not all the places, including McDonald's have the croissant as part of the bread. Um, and I think Jack in the box does a very good job with their breakfast sandwich. And the best thing about it is, is that unlike some of the other places, and, and I'm not name dropping McDonald's, I'm name dropping my number one pick. Um, they don't serve it all day. So the fact that you can go in anytime I go to Jack in the box day or night, I get that sandwich because I think it's delicious and I get it with egg and cheese only on it. I'm going to go with the classic McDonald's egg McMuffin. English muffin, circular egg, cheese. How do you beat that? It's, it's not it's, even it's, the it's best sandwich on its own menu. Perfect package. It's just it's just good. I, I, I don't like McDonald's biscuits. So and I really don't like McGriddles. McGriddles, I, I don't do the sweet, savory thing at breakfast. Give me savory, savory, savory. So no McGriddles for me. Egg McMuffins are fantastic. It's, you know, if you're in a place that isn't the South, because I don't, I don't necessarily trust the chains that exist in the South that when, when I'm not in the South, I don't know that those people know how to make biscuits. So I, I think I can always rely on an Egg McMuffin. I think that Egg McMuffin is like the Ritz cracker of breakfast. It's kind of just the thing that's consistent and everybody gets it, but it did not make my list because I don't think it's the best sandwich on its own menu. Um, and I have one question because I might need to sub out something of my list. Um, okay. Is Tudor's on your list or does that not count? That doesn't count. Tudor's okay. is All too right. regional. Uh, for those who don't know, who've never had the pleasure, uh, Tudor's Biscuit World is a... Uh, is a chain that started in West Virginia. They have locations all over West Virginia. I believe they're also in Pennsylvania. I think there's some in Maryland. Uh, it is 
tremendous. They have these unbelievable, huge biscuit sandwiches. Uh, I recommend They're the Hunky unreal. Bear or the Mountaineer. They're so good. But no, we need okay. more national type The chains. reason why I asked you is because I didn't want you to get to number one and then hit me with that and then me leave it off the list because it is my, delicious. My number two is a regional chain, but it's it, okay. the region has expanded so much in the last five years that it's 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 getting okay. more closer okay. to national. But I just wanted to make sure that I gave Tudors the respect that it deserves. My, oh, absolutely. At 100%. Yeah. My number four is the McGriddle. Um, it is, <laughs> and I get it, with egg and cheese only. Um, and I think it's delicious and I'm not a sweet and savory person either, but I don't think that it's overpoweringly sweet. I just think it's a, a very, the syrup in it or the, the small amount of syrup in it gives the bun a soft, flavorful taste. And I like McDonald's. I also hate wet bread. The full, and it's, oh. it's basically a sandwich designed around wet bread. <laughs> so you're not a big, uh, roast beef au jus guy, huh? <laughs> uh, you don't want if, that. If, that if, if I have in. a, well, no, if, if the, if the, bread is hearty enough then it's fine but also with a roast beef au jus you are dipping it in the au jus and then eating it immediately so yeah. your bread doesn't have time to get soggy and mushy the mcgriddle is made that way and this no the mcgriddle's amazing and i'm not going to take any disparaging of the mcgriddle everybody no loves McGriddle the mcgriddle slander here i'm not this is okay. I'll, I'll log off this thing right now dude uh <laughs> but i think it's the best sandwich on mcdonald's menu um so that's why the uh, McMuffin didn't make my list. I like McMuffins, and my buddy Bill Landis, who I've gone on many road trips with, will live and die by the sausage um, muffin that they have, which is mm -hmm. cheese sausage in the, on the McMuffin uh, yep. muffin, which I think is great. Not top five. I, I go back and forth between the sausage and the egg one. I find the uh, yolk in the egg McMuffin to be kind of gross. Oh, uh, see, I, I like it. I, I'm good with that. Yeah. All right. My next one is the Sonic Breakfast Toaster, which is... Egg, bacon, and cheese on Texas toast. There is very little in the world that can't be improved by putting it on Texas toast. And this is a prime example. I have never had that. So I'm going to, you know, God, I hate dieting. It's the worst thing in the world. Uh, <laughs> you just want to go out to the Sonic right now, don't you? Yeah. I, well, there's one thing that I'm sure is going to be really high on your list, and we're going to have that argument when we get to it. Um, but that sounds great. Texas toast is amazing. I love all sorts of bread. I just happen to be partial to the croissant. Um, my number two is, or my number three is Burger King's hash browns. Um, and I don't know if you've had them before, but they're the little circular hash browns. Then yeah, I they're get pretty good. I get two larges when I go there and they are my favorite. They're salty, they're crunchy, they're flavorful, and there is an abundance of them. And I like dipping them in ketchup. And sometimes even when I'm feeling kind of froggy, I can put them on the sandwich um, and open oh, the sandwich that I'm having. Cause I think like that the Permani, fry Permani Burger King brothers. Yeah. Except this one has flavor. Um, <laughs> uh, oh. yeah, uh, Permani's is terrible. Uh, but the concept of Permani's is genius, but I love the Burger King hash browns at my number three. My number three also comes from Burger King it is the bacon, egg and cheese croissant, I like you do enjoy a croissant. I like bacon with my egg and cheese, though, so I, I want it mm -hmm. all in that nice little package and that flaky croissant. Give me the bacon, egg, and cheese croissant at number three. My number two is the McDonald's hash brown, the singular hash brown. I'm glad. I was worried when you said the, the Burger King hash brown at three. I was like, I wonder if he thinks they're better than McDonald's hash browns because they're definitely not. I mean, they taste similar to me, and there's more of them, and the reason why I almost flipped them 
is because McDonald's hash brown is gone before you can enjoy it. So unless you're a savage and order five of them, I never feel like I can enjoy them to their full potential. I've never done that, Ari. I I can't imagine what that would be like. Have you done that? I've never done five. I've done two or three. Yeah, I think you need three to really get the potato aspect to it. So I think the fresh ones are great. Um but they're just oh, not big when enough. you get one that's been under the heater for a while that that does not go well but yeah. if you get if you get the one that just, just came, came out, out of the fryer oh, oh yeah. it's so good and number 2 on my breakfast i mean that is a high ranking um yeah and one point i wanted to make that i didn't make earlier on the mcgriddle folded egg is better than the egg they put on I just wanted to make sure that I was clear what people are, are screaming. Oh, oh, or the, the, you don't like the circular the, egg McMuffin the egg, egg that, that they has use, the yolk kind of yes. floating in it. Yeah, the egg that they I, use I, I gotcha. on the McGriddle, I think, is more appetizing that, than that, the, the, the... The egg McMuffin egg freaks people out. Yeah. It, and I understand that, but yeah. I have no problem with it. So okay, you're two. All right, mine, my number two is the Bojangles Cajun Filet Biscuit. It is... Uh, if you hit a Bojangles, and Bojangles is a, a chain that started in the Carolinas, but recently it has expanded quite far i believe they might have them out your way in dallas now ari uh but they're they're trying to go national they serve biscuits all day they're a fried chicken restaurant normally when when they're not serving the biscuits um but their breakfast is fantastic uh their iced tea is amazing but the bojangles cajun filet is a spicy chicken filet biscuit now bojangles can be very hit or miss on the biscuits depending on the location some it, it's 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 who's working there that day because if you get a great biscuit at Bojangles, it is unbelievable. But they, they, there are some people that will just leave them in there too long and they'll be burned. And I, are you had that that situation at your first try with you? I said, Andy, I'm going to Bojangles. What did you tell me to get? I got the biscuit. It was so dry I couldn't even finish it. Yeah, and 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 if you get the wrong person, that's that's what happens. And and they need to work on their quality control. Now, my I wish that their chicken filet was as good as the Chick-fil-A chicken biscuit chicken filet. But Chick-fil-A's biscuits are just weird. They're just wrong. They don't taste right. There's something off about the texture. If Chick-fil-A had a better biscuit, they'd be number one, no question. But that that biscuit is just so odd. The the Bojangles Cajun filet is the is the second best of the chicken filets in the in a biscuit. And when you get a good Bojangles biscuit, it's just it's just heaven. I'm going to say something that is going to explode the world now. Chicken is not a breakfast meat. <laughs> Except when you're eating the uh, unborn embryos of them? Yeah. Egg? Is, I mean, I'm not biblical. I don't know how or how you want to talk about it. I just know is that it an embryo? Fried, fried, it's unfertilized. I don't know what it is. All I know is... I'm, I'm probably using the wrong term there. Yeah. All I know is fried chicken is not what... It tastes amazing. And if you wanted to put a chicken biscuit on lunch or dinner, I'm ready to listen. But it doesn't it Ari, doesn't equate to me for breakfast. Stop making so many rules. These if are, it's delicious, eat it. Oh, yeah, I know. Well, then I would have pizza at 8 a.m. like I do sometimes. Uh, I, What's wrong with that? There isn't. I'm just saying when I think about breakfast and I'm like, what is really good? The best breakfast I've ever had in my entire life. I went on a ski trip with my friend and I picked him up in Manhattan with my car. Don't ask me why. But he brought me a fresh New York everything bagel with butter, egg, and cheese on it. And it was the most delicious. The everything bagel is a lie because it doesn't have cayenne pepper. It was the best if thing If it had ever everything, had. it would have cayenne pepper. <laughs> and and Cam Molina, our, our producer, he reminds us the, the, 
the yolk in the egg is the food source for the embryo when it does get fertilized. We're so these are the uh, answers that's that why we need. it has all the protein. Thanks, Cam. Yes, that 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 is excellent. Uh, no, I you don't make those rules. And do, okay, so question: Do you not like breakfast for lunch or breakfast for dinner? Because See, those are amazing. Now you're going to start putting me in a headlock because I eat breakfast. I'll have a breakfast sandwich if they like. I'll order a McGriddle at McDonald's at 3 p.m. So what's wrong with breakfast for breakfast? But if you said best fast food sandwiches, I wouldn't list it. I would be consistent with my thinking. Like I would put like the Chick-fil-A spicy chicken sandwich on the best lunch and dinner, but I wouldn't put it on my breakfast, even if it's available. Like I, I just you think, are a bundle of contradictions. Yeah, You're just a, a, I'm not, a Gordian I'm knot of contradictions. I just don't want to order fried chicken for breakfast when I can have a really good egg sandwich because that's breakfast to me. Dude, I would just order fried and have had <laughs> fried chicken for breakfast. Just straight up it's breakfast. Like, what if now, we I don't just eat did a random ranking because the fasting, but. What if we did the random ranking, though, Andy, and you're like, okay, five favorite breakfast items, and I was like, pot roast, uh, grilled steak, and just like, I think that would be on brand for you. I think that would be on brand for you. All right, you ready for my number one? I'm ready. Burger King croissant, which egg and cheese only, fresh, steamed bun. Their egg is the best fast food egg. Their cheese, the cash browns, Burger King's uh, orange juice in a carton you get. Burger King has the best fast food breakfast out there. And wow, I almost, that's a hot take. I know, and people go crazy. So when you said best bur- best fast food breakfast, I was like, oh, God, this is going to go nuts. People are going to go nuts. But I think that Burger King is the worst fast food chain when it comes to, like, lunch and dinner items. I think it is by far the best when it comes to breakfast. I would pick Burger King. Bre- I've had Bill. Bill will go to McDonald's, and he'll go get uh, his sausage biscuit and uh, the hash brown at McDonald's, and he'll pull into Burger King so I can get my meal when we're on the road together. It is my that is favorite. A, that is a good coworker right there. Bill Landis, you are a <laughs> fine, fine American. Uh, all right, my number one, and I had this just the other day. When I was coming back from the national championship game, I was driving home. So uh, for those who don't know, and you haven't been listening for the podcast very long, if, if you don't, I'm doing the, I do intermittent fasting, so I only eat for eight, an eight-hour period each day. Uh, so the day of the national championship game, I stopped eating at 5.30 p.m which meant I could eat at 9.30 a.m. the next morning because I was driving. I had to leave very early to drive home, and so I wanted to be able to, to eat some food on my drive, did not want to make the entire drive without eating. So I stopped in Ocoee, Florida, and I got a Hardee's steak biscuit. Or more specifically, I got two Hardee's steak biscuits and two plain biscuits. And You're a the Hardee's steak biscuit <laughs> is the best breakfast biscuit there is uh where hardy's is carl's jr i don't know why it has to be different but it is but where hardy's is carl's jr they are now making these biscuits you can get them i know i don't know if they do the country fried steak one out in california i hope they do i because it will it will inspire the californians to to change their eating habits away from the the tofu and the and the bean sprouts they they this is a tremendous biscuit. It's, it's a country fried steak biscuit. I've been eating it since I was a kid. Uh, when we go to my grandma's house in Selma, Alabama, I'd, I'd get a bunch of them there. But, I mean, we'd get them when we were at home uh, living in Orlando. We'd, we'd get them there, too. Uh, they're just – the biscuits at Hardee's are the most consistent fast food biscuits. They're the best fast food biscuits 
day-to-day, location-to-location. You can almost always get a perfect biscuit at Hardee's. And so you get that, and then you do the the steak, the country fried steak. It just it's the perfect country fried salt steak to yeah, it's, it's a, so it's a, good. It's a, Big, thick, juicy, salty. It's really good. Now, they, they do one now, pork chop and gravy biscuit. It's really good. It may be a bit much even for me, but it's good. But when when I'm just craving that feeling of, of when I was a kid and, and getting this the best be- breakfast ever, I want the hearty steak biscuit. Yeah, I, I think it's blasphemous that you didn't have the McDonald's hash brown on your list because it's like... I think universally the number it's one thing. It's a side dish. It, it, it's an you, item. You give me a choice between two, a McDonald's hash, a McDonald's hash brown, or a, a biscuit from from Hardee's or Bojangles. Give me more biscuits. Well, I put sides on my thing. Um, but oh, the, I know it's your it's your choice. I I think sides are great. And actually, like if we're talking Chick Fil A, I get two orders of waffle fries and one sandwich yeah. when I'm at lunch. But I don't think that hash browns are in the same pantheon as french fries. So I'm not going to give up the chance to eat more biscuit to eat more hash browns. When I return to eating like an animal, but more sensibly, never. There are won't. two things I want to try. Um I heard Wendy's breakfast is legit now. Like cuz they just renovated their entire thing or they like redid their it entire do, menu. It does look very interesting. I, I haven't had commercials. it. But it does yeah. I, I heard it's super good. So I'd like to try cuz I love fast food breakfast. And two, um I don't think that we know this, but I think Arby's has an egg croissant sandwich. And you would never think to go to Arby's for breakfast, but somebody texted me Do about they it. put like, the roast beef on the egg I'm going to Google croissant. it right now. I but know Arby's, you don't want that. You just want the egg, but I want the roast beef on it too. Yeah, no, egg and cheese only. Um, Arby's breakfast. Yeah, they have they have biscuits and they have, uh, they have croissants and they have the potato cakes, but you can get those even with your with your actual dinner too. I've had them right. there too. So there's places I, and it's you're funny. Not, you're not giving up curly fries for those, are you? Uh, I think I, I like a potato pancake. You know, it might be my heritage, <laughs> but the, uh, the Arby's idea- has curly fries, Arby, uh, Arby, Arby. Arby. <laughs> you just start calling me Arby. Uh, I think curly fries and maybe, I don't know if we've ever done this, but ranked uh, random ranking of fries shoestring tater tots and like just did potatoes arby's right i mean not arby's curly fries would be at the lower part of mine so you know i'm I'm happy that we're i don't think we can be friends anymore i think it's funny that we didn't say dunkin donuts or any of the other places like that but i think that mcdonald's and burger king are all you need in this world for fast food yeah i mean duncan duncan makes great coffee and i know people who that's not good coffee no compared to gas station coffee it's fantastic and that is what i'm comparing it to because you can go pay three fifty for a cup of drip coffee if you'd like. I find that to be stupid. So I will take the Dunkin' coffee and in, in a or a giant cup of iced coffee. That's great. I'm not a I'm not a coffee person. I don't drink it. I don't. It's not that I just don't like it. It's just I I never got into a habit of it, so it's never been a part of my routine. But I heard that McDonald's has actually like legit coffee. Like they are I'm afraid re- of getting burned. Is Have it, you ever watched the documentary on that lawsuit? The lady who I, sued the, McDonald's because she like, got burned on you, the coffee? Yeah. Everybody thinks it's the most frivolous lawsuit ever. Go watch that documentary. You will not think so. Was it like scolding hot? <laughs> yes. And and like scientifically determined to be at that temperature because it takes X number of minutes for most people to get to the wherever they're going where they will then 
drink the coffee. It's well, that's yeah. the thing I hate Just the most about. You won't coffee. think it's frivolous anymore. I I don't like coffee and I don't like tea. Not that I don't like the way they taste, but I don't go for it. But the reason why is every single time I do get it, it's so hot. hot I can't even yeah. enjoy it. Like give it to the customer at a reasonable temperature for them to put it in their mouth. Every time I get coffee or tea, I burn my tongue. And it kind of takes- you're never going to make any money in the fast food business thinking that way. Yeah, but I just think that Burger King, if you haven't had it, if you hate, I'm so sorry. Egg and cheese, here's the order. Egg and cheese croissant meal with the largest hash brown and another egg and cheese croissant on the side. And if you're really hungry, a small hash brown to go with it. Two meals, I mean, I don't know what could go wrong with your weight if you did it that way, but there's nothing better than than waking up in time to to do that at 1030, and especially when you're on the road or you're on the way somewhere on a road trip, there's nothing better to me. I'll give you the order. A hearty steak biscuit, a Bloody Mary, and a hearty steak biscuit. Yeah, I mean- Put it on the underhills. Is it the deep fried country steak? Of course. I've never had that, and I'm my mouth is foaming. Because go. I like well, country you, fried you, steak. You probably find one near you. If you were allowed to eat it. Did you know that Dallas is the best uh, fast food city in the in America? I would imagine because it's in the middle, basically. It's in the middle, so it's got so both many people, sides. So many people travel through. You have Whataburger. <laughs> you have everything. It's, you've got Jack in the Box. You've got Whataburger. You've got Brahms. You've got In-N-Out. You've got all yep. these awesome taco places that don't exist anywhere else. You've got it, – it literally has everything. It doesn't have Bojangles. But it has every... But it will. It, you know, it, it has one of my favorite Florida-based chains, Pollo Tropical. Oh, they have that here? They do. They have Pollo Tropical in, oh, in the Dallas I gotta, area. Oh, I got to Google so. that. I've never seen it. But they also have like Golden Chick and Chicken Express and like other like fried chicken chains I've never heard of yeah. before. I don't think that there's a better fast food, better fast food city in America. Well, and, and it's interesting because you, you just moved from Columbus, which is America's test market. I know, which I, I like. It's, it's where every chain test markets it. You guys got the uh, the Chick-fil-A sweet potato fries. Nobody else got those. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that having, I lived there for 10 years, and I don't know that I ever really uh, got to experiment as much as I would. I, I don't ever recall hearing when those things are happening, so I don't see it. They never told you guys because you were the guinea pigs. They want, I know, they but want I want you to know. Trust me, dude. I went through my fair share of fast food lines when I lived in, in Columbus, and I never saw weird things. Like I think they were the first one to do the McDonald's chicken and waffle sandwich, and I think I had that. But other than that, I don't really ever recall some of the crazy stuff that they used to do there. But I, Columbus, Ohio is the perfect place. To, oh, yeah. To, well, Western, it, is, it is America's test market. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm so hungry. God, every single time I do this podcast with you, man. It just All right, all right. I'm going to let you go and hopefully you're allowed to eat something and hopefully it's somewhat satisfying. Go <laughs> go get a McGriddles. Get some wet bread. It'll make you feel better. Yeah, McGriddle with no bun, right? And then just eat the egg folded egg cuz it's like that's there's no carbs, yeah, you know? I, I, I there you go. Now you're thinking. All right, thank you so much for listening. Hope you had some fun with this one. We will talk to you again very soon.